0: Understanding that weird book of Revelation. This is part 28. Uh, We'll do... This is the first, right? So July 1st, July 8th, and we'll... 15. Maybe finish at 15, maybe finish at 22. But for sure, this month we'll see the wrap-up of... uh, Hebrews in the morning, Revelation at night, and you've seen posters and stuff, some of the other things that, that we're going to be doing. Heaven. What it will be like and how to get there, and even in that title, when I say get there, it implies what I consider to be. Um, I've got to be careful how I word this, because let's face it, we all like the idea of Heaven. A common misunderstanding of the way we interpret that word. Yes, I believe in heaven as much as anybody in the room. But I I think there's a way the Bible talks about heaven that if taken seriously varies a little bit from the understanding that a lot of us would have if you've been at a Christian funeral. The, the, The way it usually gets presented is Uh, so-and-so is a good believer, trust her in Jesus Christ, he or she has gone to be with the Lord, and they're now in heaven. And I have no problem with that, as long as we understand what we mean when we say it, because I think we can say it in a way that shuts out some other things that the Bible says over and over and over about what heaven actually is and what it's going to be like, because... Because if, if, if it stops with, I'm not saying it's untrue, but if it stops with, well, so and so has gone to be with Jesus and they're in heaven, period. If that's where it ends, then we're missing the most precious part of what the Bible says about heaven. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at in a meandering kind of way. Heaven, what it will be like and how to get there. Revelation 21. Let me read a long passage and then we'll talk about it. John on Patmos, a series of visions and the visions continue. And then I saw a new heaven, not heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I don't know how you see it. Wonder what he saw in that vision. Like how do you how do you see that in a vision? Was he, was he like lifted way up the way you'd see the earth in a, in a moonshot or something? Did he see oceans? Did he, how did, what did he see in this vision? Two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem in the Middle East. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's an important phrase. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying... Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God with man. He will dwell with them. We usually think of, I go to prepare a place for you and you will come and be with me. John 14. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So they, they, there's eyes here. Death shall be no more. Neither shall, be, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is not my dad. My dad died and he's gone to be with Jesus. He's with Jesus. And there, it's gain. Uh, it's better. And he isn't suffering and there's no pain. But this isn't talking about that. This is talking about something different. This is talking about a new realm in bodies that don't get old or sick or die. So this isn't talking about something that we can't see. This is talking about something that's coming here in power. Five. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Things, real things. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So you get this picture of redemption. You can't buy it. You can't qualify. You can't purchase this. It, this is, it's that gift nature that's being emphasized. Seven. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, that's interesting. I mean, we can see some of the other things, but cowardly. People who who were ashamed, who wouldn't stand up for Jesus. Think of all the other things we've read in the book of Revelation. The persecution... Uh, uh, Antichrist, the false prophet, the system against Christ, political systems against Christ, educational systems against Christ, school systems against Christ, and if people that were cowardly cringe, oh, I'm not going to stand up for Jesus here. They, didn't, they weren't immoral. Cowardly. The faithless. The detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immor- immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So it's all positive, and then you get that little but in there. Nine. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the last seven last plagues, spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the three east gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Fourteen. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles. So you have this old and new covenant now. This, this picture of fulfillment. Israel and the apostles. 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square. We used to sing about that, a city built four square. I don't know why we thought that was a great hymn, but when I was a kid we used to sing it. Its length, the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. A big cube. Measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That's an interesting sentence. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold. Remember, this is a vision. We used to sing, "I got a mansion over the hilltop." Remember that? Anybody remember singing that? Yeah. I want a gold one that's silver-lined. But doesn't that sound like you've been cleansed of all your materialistic? But we got it from here. We forgot that the, it's a vision. It's a vision. It's not this picture of everything being actually made of gold and diamonds. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a wonder, a purity, a, a, a marvelousness to it. 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel... First jasper, second sapphire, the third gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. So now these gates are pearls. It changes. Each of the gates was made of a single pearl. Think of this great big huge pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. Well, pure gold isn't transparent, but it's, it's a vision that he sees. This is interesting, 22, and I saw no temple in this city. I saw no temple in... The plan is never to go back to Old Testament temple worship. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for, of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Interesting the way Jesus said he was the light of the world, and now you have its lamp is the Lamb. 24, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth, it's earth we're talking about here, the kings of the earth will bring glo- their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, there will be no night there, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone. So nothing and no one persons now. Not anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're wrapping up. And so the visions, they start to come to an end. Each now becoming more centered on, on um, the glory that is to come. There's a lot in the book of Revelation that just makes you cringe, and it's supposed to. But as the visions start to wrap up, John is still in the middle of exile and persecution and trouble and trial. He has an emperor in Rome that's burning Christians at the stake, and the church is suffering all sorts of persecution. And so there's John. He's not, he's seeing this in a vision, but he's not at the end time yet. He's just being shown what's to come and it's designed to encourage him and to give him hope. Let me talk about some of the things. One, creation renewed. So Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. Now the very first verse here, Represents this striking thought the, the passing away of this whole created order and it's just kind of an expansion on what was said briefly in the last chapter 20 verse 11 where John says I, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and then there's not a lot of detail but he says and from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them It's repeated a couple times in Revelation, but it doesn't originate there. You can go back to the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 34, 4. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away. The skies roll up like a scroll, and their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from a fig tree. Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He's patient. Toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I could talk about that. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus, Matthew twenty-four thirty-five. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. What are we going to do with all these words? They're they're Old Testament. They're New Testament. They're they're seen as coming to completion in these visions, these forward-looking visions that John gets. I think the biblical teaching is not merely one of elimination. They just flee. They roll up. They disappear. They're gone. But renovation. I get that from Paul's words, for example, in Romans 8. 19 to 22 This is a profound creation passage. Is that in your notes? Okay, for the creation waits with eager longing, the creation. This this stuff, real stuff. We're not talking now clouds floating around harps, cream cheese. The creation Waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Bondage to decay. Get out your high school yearbook, look at your picture, and you'll see what bondage to decay is all about. Set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, this creation right here, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I think this is a really important passage. I've said publicly and I I believe with all my heart that the story of the Bible is is, creation. Creation. Creation, decreation, sin and the fall. Redemption, new creation. If this first creation is just eliminated, then God loses. His plan is not just to have what he created vanish. His plan is to have it redeemed, renewed, restored. I get excited thinking about this. I, I, I think that our thoughts and this is what I said at the beginning, our thoughts of heaven um, maybe come from a lot of old songs more than from our Bibles. But just think of think of something you've seen in this present creation and think of the pleasure it's given you. Maybe maybe I don't I don't know what it is. You 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 you've visited the Grand Canyon, you've you've uh, You've driven down the, the west coast, southern California, and seen Carmel and Pebble Beach and the ocean rolling in there. You've, you've gone to northern Ontario and you've sat on the dock and heard the loons at night and seen the water just like a sheet of glass and the trees and heard birds singing. And you thought, this is just wonderful. Every time that happens to me, you get those moments, don't you? Why does God give you those moments? They don't just happen. You know those moments that, that well up joy, right? They well up joy. You weren't looking for it. All of a sudden you go, oh. And what God is doing is he's saying, this is, this is the fallen creation. Wait till you see what I have for you. It's not going to be less real than this. It's going to be as real as this. It's going to be here. A new earth. It will be glorious beyond telling. Creation. Decreation. Sin in the fall. Redemption. New creation. A new heaven and a new earth. That's God's plan and that's what this. I believe this passage is talking about. There's something that happens in the cross that is bigger than just the forgiveness of my sins. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, when he said it is finished, it wasn't just Don Horbin's sins have been atoned, as glorious as that is. He meant that what has been sown there will have effects that reach into the restoration of my heart with God and this whole creation. With God's original plan. It's cosmic. There's a grandeur to good Christology. Paul had something big in mind when he wrote Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For for in him, all the fullness of God... We sang it, the one true God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell. And through him, listen... To reconcile to himself all things not just people, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is massive. It's massive. Ah, sorry, too long. Two. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, and the bride of Christ. Two to four, and I saw... The Holy City, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. You can't even imagine it, can you? Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain. For the former things have passed away. So John just mentions what he's going to describe in more detail. I don't know if we'll work all through that. But 10 to 27 talk about the same thing. This Jerusalem, it's coming down. Coming down out of heaven to earth. So, so it shows that we, we shouldn't reserve all of our thoughts ...about eternity and the eternal state... ...we shouldn't reserve them all for some other realm far away. The emphasis all through the book of Revelation... ...is God's final triumph coming here... ...coming down to earth. So it's not pictured in terms of harps and clouds. It's very tangible. It's, it's very real. How are we going to interpret these images of the heavenly city... ...here and then later on in the same, uh, the same chapter... What are we going to do with the details? Is this going to be a literal city in the shape of a cube? My own opinion, and you know, membership in this church doesn't hinge on this or anything else. My own opinion is no. It, that's not what's being described here. Will this New Jerusalem literally take the physical place of Old Jerusalem? I don't think so. Because some of the details are really hard put together. How does this cube, when you work it out, how does this cube measuring 1,500 miles on each side, how does it make its abode in an area on earth measuring barely 60 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea? And it doesn't fit. And I don't think that's God's plan. My own opinion is John gives us a key to how we're supposed to interpret this heavenly city. And he tells us right in this chapter, he says... He says it twice in the chapter. New Jerusalem isn't described just as a city. It's also described as a bride. That's really confusing, isn't it? Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Or 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he goes on to describe this city. This much we know for sure. That the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and the bride of Christ are the same thing in John's vision and in the words of the angel. They are the same thing. And I think that helps become a bit of a key for interpreting this vision. Because we know who the bride is. We don't have to guess. If he says the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, and then he tells us who the bride is, well, then we know what the new Jerusalem is. Look at nineteen six through 8. I hope I'm not wearing you out, but I, I, I want you to show you that these are not just some random thoughts of mine, that they are there in the text. He said, then I heard what... nineteen six to 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude... Like the roar of many waters. Like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. We looked at these words already. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It's the church. It's the church. The church is always pictured in the book of Revelation, not just as a New Testament entity. The church in the book of Revelation is always pictured as the fulfillment of God's Old Testament covenant with Israel. So they sang the song, remember, of Moses and the Lamb. 144,000, where you have the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, 12 times 12, 144. The, the, The book of Revelation constantly sees the people of God as the fulfillment of the old covenant, but expanded beyond that to include every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every language on the face of the earth. Got to leave some stuff out or we're going to be here all night. Three. Let me just say this. (laughs) The whole new... Should I do this? What if we don't finish? I don't want people starting to scream out, crucify him, crucify him. You know, like... It's interesting, okay, I'm going to do this just for a couple minutes. Am I okay to walk out here? Sometimes they say, don't move here, don't move there. You don't know the pressure I'm under. <laughs> it is fascinating to me, and I don't think Christians think about it very much. It is fascinating to me. What I'm getting at now is when I said this new Jerusalem coming down. It's, it's the bride of Christ. And I think I've showed you that from the book of Revelation. But it's a concept that runs through the whole Bible. A lot of the things that if you just read the Old Testament, you would think they are just for Israel. In other words, if you didn't have your New Testament, you would never conclude that some of the things talked about there are anything other than literal Israel and a literal temple. The only way we know differently is we see how the New Testament interprets those things. Not literally, but the New Testament almost always takes those things that if you just read them in Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you would think, oh, okay, that's talking about the building of a temple, a structure, a physical structure in Jerusalem. But when you read the New Testament, for, and, and you say, Pastor Don, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that with Old Testament, uh, Old Testament details. You shouldn't twist them. You should take them literally. And I would say to you, you do it too. You just don't think you do it. Go back, go back to Jeremiah 31 and read. I will make a new covenant with those people. I will take a heart of stone out of them and put in a heart of flesh and I will be their God and they will be my people. The new covenant. You go back, go back in your Bible tonight and read Jeremiah 31 and I'll tell you what it says. It'll say, Thus says the Lord to the house of Judah and to the house of Israel. Behold, I will make a new covenant with you. If you didn't have the book of Hebrews particularly... You would never conclude that that's talking to the church. Do, do, do you see what I'm getting at? Um, there are other passages where Acts... I uh, wasn't planning on doing this. 15. The Jerusalem Council. James gets up. James gets up and he quotes... Uh, I think Hosea. I might be off on this. One of those uh, minor prophets from the Old Testament... And, and if you go back and read it, in the context of the Old Testament, it's talking about the rebuilding of the tabernacle in the house of David. And it's all very literal, like a building project. And you read, James gets up, and, and look in your Bible, he, he quotes verbatim. It's in quotation marks in your New Testament. He quotes that whole Old Testament passage, and then James says, get this, today... This has been fulfilled in your eyes. That's what the Apostle James says. And you say, well, wait a minute. How how has that been fulfilled? And all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's what this is talking about. This house that God is rebuilding. You'd never come to this conclusion if you just had your Old Testament. This house that God is rebuilding is the body of Christ. The inclusion of Jew and Gentile together. All building a house of worship. A temple, Peter calls it. ...offering worship to the Lord. All I'm saying is be very careful... ...be very careful that, that when you see things like this in the book of Revelation... ...that you, that you don't just assume... ...oh, it's a, it's a city. It must be Jerusalem. It's going to be in Palestine. And it's going to have 12 gates. And it's going to be 1,500 miles. And it's going to be this and this and that. I don't think that's the best way to interpret those texts... ...and it leads to all sorts of problems... I said before, so when Chris gets up on Sunday and he goes over and reads from the Psalms up there and all these verses about Zion, I'm fully aware that when David said those words, he was thinking about his people, Israel. But when I read those words, I stretch them way beyond that because, because that's what the New Testament does all the time with those texts. So when I see Zion and God blessing his people, I see Don Horban. I see Cedarview Community Church. It's talking about us. When you take the New Testament and use it to interpret the Old, that's the only way the New Testament ever interprets it. So there's a kind of a hermeneutic there. I'm, this, and you don't usually do this in a Sunday night service, but I want you just to have that picture. One day I'll take up more time because there are dozens of examples of this. Here's another one. Six thirty-eight. Singers, musicians, come on up, just while I wrap this up, okay? If, you're, if you didn't go home. Here's another one. What are you going to do? People will say, yeah, but... What are you going to do with things like the Sabbath in the Old Testament? Do you ever read the giving of the Sabbath? And people will say to me, Pastor Don, the covenant with Israel is an everlasting covenant. And I, I say, absolutely it is. As is the Sabbath, read it. When God gives the Sabbath, he says to his people, and it will be forever. Forever. Now, have we abolished it because we're worshiping on Sunday? No. The principle of the Sabbath continues forever, but the New Testament takes that principle and reinterprets it through the resurrection of Christ. This is how you keep the Sabbath command now. Honoring redemption, the death of Christ. Always use the New Testament to interpret the old. So we didn't get through all those notes. Um, uh, If Jesus doesn't come first, we'll we'll rejig them next Sunday night and we'll keep going with the same subject. You all okay with that?